welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. What is the difference between pathological demand avoidance and trauma? This is a great question. It's one I had myself when I first started on this journey, and it's one I get from parents often. It's a complex question, so I have an outline here, and I'm going to go over five things. First, trauma and PDA look very similar. Two, They have the same nervous system mechanisms, but different root causes, which I'm going to talk about. There's overlap that needs to be discussed. Fourth, there is a difference in how we treat them somewhat because of the different root causes. And then five, there's a lot we don't know yet or can fully parse between um, what is capable of being healed what is a neurotype and therefore needs to be accommodated and the role that neuroplasticity plays because we are the first generation of parents that and therapists who are raising and supporting PDA kids through an accommodation lens. I'll just start with the first part of this question, which is what's the difference between PDA and trauma? Okay. So it looks extremely similar. And in fact, when my son was four and a half and hit nervous system burnout, when we were still living in Washington, DC, I would watch his behavior. And I would say to my husband, it looks like he's traumatized. Did something happen? And the reason for this is, is it was not like crying, resisting, misbehavior or temper tantrums. It was actually that I could see his body reacting in a way that looked like trauma. He would run from us. He would run out the front door. He would scream as if he were in pain. He would cower in corners. And if we got near him, he would lash out. And sometimes he would be aggressive. And these were behaviors that I could see were not just like he's upset emotionally or he's having a temper tantrum that he'll get over. And when we had um, moments where we would try and support him, he would actually react in a way that was like as if you were approaching an animal that had been injured, right? And so my husband and I actually had conversations and talked to his daycare about like, did something happen? Is it possible that there was a traumatic incident, et cetera? And this is actually quite common for parents to ask this question. Um, And there's a reason for it, okay? The reason for this question is because although there are different root causes between trauma and pathological demand avoidance, there is the same mechanism that's occurring, right? So in both cases of PDA, where a child has PDA brain wiring or a neurotype and or a child who has trauma, What's happening is that their brain is perceiving threat, meaning their brain is perceiving that there's a lion in front of them, whether or not you can see the lion, and it's telling the body to react in a way that will keep them alive, right? And there's two primary ways that the body does this. It either tells the nervous system on a subconscious, immediate, automatic level faster than rational thought, which is happening in your frontal lobe, not in your limbic system, saying, 
hey body, like we need to either fight the lion or we need to flee the lion. So in the fight flight mechanism of the nervous system, what we have going on is a physiological response, right? So there's adrenaline and cortisol that are moving through your body so you can move quickly. Blood is rushing to the extremities so that you can run or fight the lion. You are, you have tunnel vision so you can be focused, your heart starts racing, perhaps you even have digestive issues like you need to vomit or have diarrhea because you're getting rid of excess fluids in order to preserve your life in front of a lion, right? This is happening for children who are traumatized and experiencing evocative cues or PTSD-like symptoms. This is what's happening in their fight-flight response. This is the same mechanism that's happening for a PDA child. I'm gonna talk about the difference, but after I talk about the mechanism, which is the same. The other pathway that a child's body might experience is the freeze experience, which is, again, the limbic system is experiencing threat, even if you as a parent, teacher, therapist don't see that threat, the limbic system is telling the body, hey, we gotta pretend to be dead so that the lion doesn't eat us because predators don't eat animals that are dead, okay? So now the blood is rushing away from the extremities because you're freezing and playing dead. And if you get bitten, you don't wanna lose a lot of blood. Endorphins are actually released and the metabolism slows down, right? And that can make, you know, downstream effects of UTIs, encopresis, constipation, etc. This is what's happening physiologically in the body, whether it's a traumatized child or teen or a PDA child. That's a similarity because it's a nervous system mechanism. However, the second point I wanna make is that the root cause that is precipitating or causing this nervous system mechanism is distinct. Okay, so first, PDA is a neurotype, which means it's brain wiring and the way that a person's brain exists from birth, right? Just like ADHD, just like autism, just like dyslexia, this is the way that the brain works. And so what's unique about PDA is that in their limbic system, the amygdala, the part that perceives threat on a subconscious level, causes that mechanism of the nervous system whenever they perceive they're not equal to another person, surroundings, other children, a situation, or they don't have freedom, choice, or autonomy. That is the root that sets off the cascade of physiological responses in the nervous system. And that happens because of the PDA neurotype with or without trauma, okay? Trauma is not, I mean, we could argue about intergenerational trauma and epigenetics, but for the purpose of this conversation, let's simplify and say that trauma is not something that you're born with. Rather, trauma is the result of an event or a series of events. And I'm going to talk about four characteristics that make something encoded as a traumatic memory, which is what the causal mechanism is to set off the nervous system response in a traumatized child. And I'll put the citation in if you're listening as part of the podcast or after this live. Okay, so there's four characteristics that we need for a traumatic memory to be encoded. One is the event. 
Second is the meaning that is attached to this, and it's usually related to a loss. So loss of life, loss of friends, loss of attachment to community or parents, loss of your position within a community, loss of body, okay? There needs to be a perception of inescapability, that you can't escape what's happening. And then the landscape of the brain also matters and the landscape of the situation, right? Is this person in a situation where they're very supported or are they not, okay? And landscape overlaps with neurotype, okay? So here, the root cause could be an evocative cue from a moment of trauma. And I'll give you an illustration with my own son. Often, I believe that many PDA children, teens, and even adults experience trauma because of the way that their brain, the way that their brain perceives threat because of the way that they're born, layered on top of that inescapable experiences that are ascribed meaning that cause traumatic memories. So take my son. He lives the first four and a half years of his life with a brain that is telling him he's in danger, there's a lion in front of him, and no one is the wiser. He doesn't know that, we don't know that. We just know that in his body, he's experiencing the nervous system reaction of threat. What's coming out is he's fighting or fleeing, and it's being viewed through the lens of behavior by me, the parent, because I don't know any better. And so what's happening? I'm responding to this survival mechanism with punishment. I'm using the one, two, three magic approach. I'm actually putting him in a room for timeouts. I'm shutting the door over and over and over again. I'm punishing his nervous system reaction. So what's happening? I'm causing an event, right? The event is he's having a panic response because of his neurotype. I'm putting him in the room. I'm shutting the door. He's ascribing meaning to loss of attachment, loss of connection with me. He's sensing inescapability because I'm not letting him come out of the room. And then on top of that, he has a very like vulnerable landscape in his brain because he's neurodivergent, right? So he has like sensory sensitivities, he has social communication differences, he's anxious, etc. in addition to PDA, right? So what happens? It becomes a traumatic experience through my parenting. So now he's PDA and then he also has a traumatic experience of timeouts, right? So now we have an evocative cue that's related to a specific event, a traumatic event. So in the case of our family, closed doors became both something that represented a loss of autonomy to him on a subconscious level, and he'd get react, he'd react with a fight flight reaction and try and break down the door. He would also have the evocative cue of every time doors were closed before we changed our parenting, he was perceiving that he was, it was inescapable. He was losing his attachment to me and potentially his life. He was only four and a half and it was an event that was repeated. Okay, so here's the kicker. There's overlap, right? And many PDA kids, they're constantly perceiving threat even if they don't know why. But this is where it's different, okay? So 
you can experience an evocative cue like let's say I was in a car crash right and there was a siren going there were sirens going when I got in the car crash and I went to the hospital my evocative cue my sensory cue might be every time I hear a siren I have that nervous system mechanism my heart starts to raise I start to shake I start to sweat I get tunnel vision I feel like I'm going to have diarrhea etc okay so that I can have without being neurodivergent, right? It's an evocative cue. And every time I hear sirens, I will have that response in my nervous system. For a PDA child, they might have a situation that they're enjoying that is not full of evocative cues of trauma. For example, football for my son, right? Like he loves it. He has no sense of inescapability. He does not have to go. His dad is the assistant coach there for co-regulation. He has not ascribed meaning to football that could potentially lead to a loss of attachment of his body, his friends, his life, etc. And there's not really any events that are causing trauma. However, he is still perceiving losses of autonomy and equality, which are setting off the nervous system response. Why? because he has to line up and that's an expectation because other kids are faster than him and grabbing his flag football little flag which is perceived as a loss of autonomy so even though it's not traumatic his pda neurotype is perceiving threat and going through that same nervous system mechanism so although there's overlap there's a different root cause and there's different therefore ways to support it, right? So like if a child has evocative cues, memories associated with a particular time in their life or an event, like for example, you see this a lot in the foster care and adoption communities, okay? Then we're more focused on supporting them through integrating, understanding, processing those events or scenarios. Whereas if you have a PDA child and their brain is wired so that every time they perceive a loss of autonomy and equality, the nervous system activation is building in their system to the point where they're incapacitated. So the approach is not necessarily processing trauma. It is accommodating so that they're not constantly going into fight or flight. Okay, so in that case, we're looking at the root cause of perceived losses of autonomy, perceived losses of equality and a nervous system that is constantly being activated. So they need all these signals of safety, right? So the difference here, which I will just admit is unclear exactly where your child will land between healing their trauma from before understanding that they're PDA and their experiences versus accommodating their neurotype while also holding the possibility for neuroplasticity, which means maybe they have that activation, but there are different pathways we can choose, which is what we learn through meditation, for example, and non-reactivity. So this is something that I don't know the answer to because it's such a new topic. But what I do know is that Many PDA children have trauma from one of or three things, 
either school, parenting, which was the case in my family, his school was actually a safer place than home, or behaviorally oriented therapies that consistently push them in all three of those cases, the traditional parenting, the, the school situation where they're not accommodated or a therapy that's not aligned with their neurotype and their needs is continually activating their threat response to the point where it becomes a traumatic event that then has a meaning ascribed because it's perceived as inescapable, right? And then we have our work cut out for us as parents, which is, at least it was for me, reestablishing the relationship, building trust all over again, healing the trauma between the two of us through play and other methods, and then accommodating the way his brain is wired, which I have radically accepted, is not going to be healed, right? Because it's the way his brain works. And that's a key shift or transformation that parents have to make to really truly find peace on this journey. Because you know, we want to hold hope and possibility for our children, right? Where the trauma that they have experienced can be healed, we can help create new neural pathways and not always be pushing them past their threshold. And that's an opportunity for neuroplasticity. At the same time, holding that they will always have a brain that activates when there is a perception of a loss of autonomy or equality because that's how their brain works and the exact place that we all land is unknown because we're all here in this journey with our kids without a reference point right it's not like a previous generation was like raising the pda generation with accommodations the adult pda advocates who exist now are the ones who are first, you know, first coming out with this and it's not as well known as ADHD or autism or other neurotypes and so we really don't know exactly where it's going to land, but what I will say is. An accommodation approach and a trauma informed approach are very much aligned and much of the accommodations are healing for trauma and trauma informed approaches are supportive of PDA. The difference is with PDA, there might need to be more flexibility and more autonomy and less limits and less boundaries than in a trauma informed approach. Because some children need who are not PDA, but are traumatized need that structure more rigidity more expectations that they know what's going to happen, etc. Okay, so that is how I think about this question, what is the difference between trauma and PDA. All right, everybody, thanks for being with me. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.